Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to The Cannibal, a podcast attempt to read all of the books in Harold Bloom's list of the Western canon. My name is Claude Myron Guzer, and my co-host, as always, is Daniel Doherty. Hey there, Claude. Uh, so today we're continuing with our, our Dante uh, excursion and moving on to the Purgatorio. Mm-hmm. And what I thought we could do is... This one's not as familiar, or I, I, I'm guessing it's it's not going to be as familiar to to listeners as the Inferno. Um, Inferno is the one that has five million translations. Purgatorio has five. Um, yeah, uh, and I read them all for tonight, and I hope I remember them. But uh, <laughs> but no, it, it's not as familiar, and I I hope this doesn't feel like a disservice to our five listeners. But I thought we could start by just jumping straight in and media race into Canto 1 because that lays out a lot of the issues that I think we want to get to. And from Canto 1, we can move to a kind of summarization of the whole thing or summary of the whole thing so that you know listeners who are unfamiliar with the work can get uh, uh, an idea of the whole layout. Does that sound good? But yeah, because I, th- I think um, we'll be jumping around a bit, and I think that serves the work a little better for what we're concerned with because it's not exactly, you know, I, ra- rather like with the Inferno, it, it's not exactly like a plot to keep up with so much. So sort of hitting, hitting highlights and interesting points that raise themes that we're going to be talking about, like that, you know, if you want the play-by-play, you can you can find an outline. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I like I like the jumping around approach. That, that befits my uh, ADD-addled uh, mind. <laughs> All right, that sounds good. So let's just jump straight into Canto One, and it picks right up where we left off with the Inferno. Uh, Dante and Virgil have climbed up Satan. Uh, basically, they they switch halfway. Uh, they're climbing down and then halfway around, they have to sort of switch and all of a sudden they're climbing up and they climb out of the, 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 the cave of hell and onto a a new shore. Um, what happens is they're stopped immediately by a guard, uh, Cato, uh, who's an old Roman Mm -hmm. 
And this is okay. One more time. Uh, you know we're doing uh, an educational podcast, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. So I, I'm hoping that most of this uh, comes under fair use, and you know we're not trying to make any money off of this, and we're just trying to inform the public as <laughs> much as we can. Uh, so I hope that W.S. Uh, Merwin, whose translation of the Purgatorio uh, that I'm going to be quoting from, does not sue us. He seems like a very nice guy. Uh, anyway, um, they're stopped by Cato, uh, a, an old Roman who says, who are you who against the blind stream have made your escape from the eternal prison? Uh, he said with those venerable plumes shaking, who was it that guided you? Who was your light bringing you forth out of the profound night that keeps the infernal valley black forever? Are the laws of the abyss broken like this? Or has a new rule been pronounced in heaven that you that are damned come here to my caverns? Okay, so there are a couple things that, that that are going on here. So one, um, the first thing that happens is Cato is demanding to know who they are, what they're doing. He's the guard at, mm-hmm. at the mouth of of hell to to prevent souls from entering purgatory uh, from entering purgatory. But he admits. That there's the possibility that he's gotten this wrong. Are the laws of the abyss broken like this, or has a new rule been pronounced in heaven that you that are damned come here to my caverns? Um, what I find so interesting is that it, this is going to be a running theme in in the Purgatorio. Um, <clears throat> Dante and Virgil are going to be stopped by people who basically say, "Hey, look, are you sure you should be going this way?" Uh, I've been told that no one's allowed at this point, but I've also been told to exercise my best judgment and um, I could be wrong. If you're here, I don't know. Why don't you go ahead and go? Right. <laughs> the, I mean, it, I, I'm making it a lot looser and sillier than it is, but remember the 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 legend on the gates of hell was abandon hope ye who enter. Mm-hmm. Without possibility, there is no hope. Uh, without the possibility of admitting error, there is no hope. And one of the things that I find so <coughs> excuse me so interesting in in the Purgatorio is that so many characters are ready, willing, and able to admit the possibility that they're wrong. Right, and and that there we were kind of talking before recording about, um, and we'll get to it a little later uh, uh, when we talk about the layout of Mount Purgatory, but the the sins represented in the geography of the place are the same ones that were represented in the geography of hell. And yeah. you start to wonder what makes the difference. Why are some souls afforded this hope of purgation uh, of these sins to re- to finally reach, uh, uh, to finally reach paradise um, while others are condemned in, in the hopeless inferno. And, and I think you hit right on it, that, that openness to understanding error. Yeah, the, and I guess that might be it. Like the you have the the repentant sinner is allowed the 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 rope thrown down that is purgatory, but perhaps the and again and we talked a little bit about may, maybe motivation as well, and and that will come up later as we discuss like Dante's sort of psychological theory. Yeah, sort of theory of what sin is. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. Like there's there's the the fact that everyone is like, hey, you're not supposed to be here, but uh, I mean, I don't know everything. Maybe you are supposed to be here. That's yeah. the difference. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to press on it too too hard, but error um, has the the root 
it's the same etymological root as errancy. Like knight errancy is to go in error or to go um, – it doesn't necessarily mean wrong. It, it, it means without path. Right. Way, or or without clear path. Yeah. 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 So part of, you know, one more time, we're speaking English. Dante is writing in medieval Italian but uh, or, or Tuscan, I suppose. Uh, but it, it strikes me that that emphasis on error or the possibility of error is the, the admission that the field in some ways is unknowable, you know? Yeah. Uh, or that there's a limit to knowledge. But anyway, so <clears throat> Cato stops them. And Virgil, um, as as he sort of did in the Inferno, takes the lead. He says, uh, I have not come with myself. A lady came down from heaven through whose prayers I've helped this one with my company. But since it is your will that our condition in its truth should further be unfolded to you, it cannot be mine to deny that to you. This one has not yet seen the final evening, but through his folly... He had come so near it that very little time was left for changing. As I have told you, I was sent to him <coughs> excuse me, to save him, and there was no other way than this one on which I began my journey. I have shown him the whole populace of evil, and now intend to show him the spirits who purify themselves under your rule. The route I brought him would be long to tell you. A virtue comes down from above which helps me to lead him to behold you and to hear you. Now may it please you to approve his coming. His goal is liberty, and one who has forfeited life for that knows how dear it is. Uh, Cato had killed himself at the end of the the Roman Civil War as a kind of political gesture. Uh, so what? Do, <coughs> excuse me. So what Virgil is playing on is uh, first of all, you know, this lady came down. Uh, she told me to take him this way. He's he's pretty much using the same techniques that he was using in hell, right? Mm -hmm. uh, pleading um, Beatrice's uh, guidance and proclamation that he has to do this, but then he starts into uh, uh, another track. Nor are the eternal edicts broken for us. He is alive, and Minos does not bind me. I came from the circle where the chaste eyes of your Marcia, in their gazing, pray to you, O holy breast, to hold her as your own. May her love, then, incline you toward us. Allow us to journey through your seven kingdoms. I will report this kindness of yours to her if you deign to be spoken of down there. Okay, mm. so again, <coughs> excuse me, this is the tack that they took through Inferno. Uh, there's someone back there who I know you you want to hear from or, or who wants to hear about you. I'll praise your name back down there. Uh, just let us through, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But Cato's response is different. Marshall was such pleasures to my eyes while I was on the far side, then he said, that any kindness she asked of me I did. Now that she abides beyond the evil river, she can move me no longer by that law that was made when I came from over there. But if a lady from heaven, as you say, moves and directs you, you need not persuade me. It is enough to ask me for her sake only. Um, you know what? Uh, she's dead to me. I mean, literally. <laughs> it, it, it's on the other side. Uh, I have... No regard for the souls in hell. Um, but if a soul from heaven came down to you and told you to do this thing, then yeah, go ahead. Um, there are a couple of reasons that's important. 
it begins Virgil's long journey of getting it wrong. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh no, I, I just think like there's that um, the yeah the getting it wrong and, and error kind of uh, the, as a theme creeping in again. Um, but yeah, it, it's almost like sort of Virgil as as Dante and Virgil journey together through purgatory and they're reaching closer and closer to paradise to the earth first the earthly paradise and then onward to the heavenly paradise i i think it's almost a matter of you know virgil is less and less in command of the territory so yeah. to speak like he's less of a guide because this is less his scene um because he is damned <laughs> like yes yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely it. And that's the question of, of the Purgatorio. Um, and that's why I wanted to start with Canto 1 just directly. We begin with a Christianized Roman. And Hollander in the notes has um, – in the Hollander edition of the text, he he has in the notes this idea that what, what Dante is doing is sort of like a, a jab at church hierarchy, um, admitting that – or, <coughs> excuse me, trying to push them to admit that they don't always know what's right or that mm-hmm. dogma only goes so far or something like that. Um, I can Christianize who I want because there are some who, regardless of dogma, manage to show Christian values or, or something of that sort. But if that's the case, why not, why not allow Virgil to be saved, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, there are, I mean, most of the whole poem are is is a set of counterexamples that show that Virgil one is aware that he okay. The counterexamples don't necessarily show it, but Virgil throughout the poem is aware that he missed his, missed the boat, like he missed his shot. Right. He is aware that he is damned. Um, all of these examples of Christianized Romans keep showing up that just drive the point home. Um, there's no evidence, you know, Cato was not and could not have been Christianized. He was before the time. Right. Uh, Statius, who comes later, says that it was actually Virgil who led him to Christianity because there's a poem of Virgil's that was taken by early Christians as a kind of preview of mm-hmm. the the birth of Christ. Why? I mean, but Statius, there's no evidence at all to suggest that Statius actually was a secret Christian as, as Dante right. casts him. Why then does he Christianize everybody except Virgil? Who... Uh, who who wrote this poem that you know he, he who would have been like if you know if these early christians interpretation if we go with that then he was a conduit for divine wisdom at some point and absolutely you would think that that would be an automatic end <laughs> but i mean maybe you know maybe he uh i, I don't know just spitballing here and i and i i am not a, a dante scholar i don't know but uh perhaps it you know would have something to do with how virgil was so so closely associated with the uh, imperial regime, you know, he was he was basically Augustus's hype man, you know, yeah, uh, uh, in the aftermath of the sort of the conclusion of the civil wars and all that. But of course, that's Cato was also. So I mean, that doesn't 
or maybe he was a little earlier. Yeah. I'm mixing up my, my late Republican figures. Um, so, I mean, maybe, you know, it's okay. Uh, yeah. It's, it, it's, I, th- yeah, we we'll, we 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 may never know. Perhaps we'll discover as we journey through the text. <laughs> and well, become I, more I mean, to us, but there are a couple ways to get at it. One is there's a strictly allegorical reading that wants to see Virgil as reason without faith. Mm-hmm. Reason can only get you so far, but faith is necessary. But Virgil is so psychologized that his absence mm-hmm. at the end of the poem is it's felt. I mean, it's really, really palpable. Um, we'll get to it, but Dante Pilgrim basically says when he is um, first confronted with Beatrice, he goes running to Virgil like a child who's frightened or uncertain goes running to his mother, and Virgil has left us. It's it's yeah. it's a powerful moment. So it. You know what? What is he doing? I I know what, or I I have a a, a feeling of what Bloom would say. Uh, you know, that's our quest. Uh, I think Bloom would identify Virgil with the um, edible father that has to be gotten rid of uh, anxiety of influence, et cetera, et cetera. But that doesn't even seem satisfactory to me. It doesn't seem satisfactory to me to call Virgil just reason without faith the the allegory that the allegory <clears throat> loses the three-dimensionality of the character um it, it's it's a baffling and troubling part of this poem mm-hmm. you know but well we'll get to it so we've sort of set this up um you know the drama of the purgatorio is sort of the treatment of of virgil and, and virgil keeps getting it wrong um, we've got this possibility uh, of error, but error admits hope in this strange way. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so because this is probably unfamiliar to a lot of people, do you want to do the heavy lifting of describing what uh, <laughs> purgatory is like, or do you want me to take sure. it on? It's up to you. No, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll take it up. All right. Um, so uh, the the sort of the, the 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 geography of purgatory is essentially an inversion of the geography of hell yeah. where you had uh with hell it was uh you know one big strip pit mine of tears going down and down and down and deeper and deeper um uh mount purgatory as it is called it's mount purgatory they they can see it from you know they they climb out of the mouth of hell and they're on this unfamiliar shore but they can see this mountain um and it is set up as a sort of a series of uh sort of of tears. Um, so there's, you know, sort of the, uh, almost like a pyramid or ziggurat kind of setup, but a, you know, a natural mountain. Well, natural, that's not even a word to use at this point. Um, so, uh, at the, at the very base, we have a, a region called ante purgatory. There's a before purgatory. And here at the sort of the base of the mountain, the people who have the farthest to climb, um, are, uh, the late, what's called the, the late repentant, actually the very, very bottom, uh, are the excommunicate. Uh, so people who have been yeah. baptized, but then excommunicated from the grace of the church. Um, who, interestingly enough, I, I you know, the, the, the threat of excommunication is that you would then be cut off from salvation. But apparently Dante is showing like, no, I mean, there's a crust of a, of a, of a crumb of hope. You'll just be at the very, yeah. very base bottom of Mount Purgatory. Um, but right above them right. are the late repentant, uh, the folks who 
were in uh, communicate with the church, but managed to get themselves killed before they had been shriven of particular sins or were unrepentant of uh, of some sins. Um, so you have also the indolent, the ones who cannot be bothered right. to, <laughs> to seek to seek absolution from their local uh, local branch of the church. Um, and uh, at the the way up from these and the the, the actual geography as as is described in the poem. It's never very clear what the paths actually are on this mountain, like how you get from one tier to the other. Yeah, exactly. Like climbing up there. Apparently, there there are places where there are multiple routes, and you'll have like there's there's one there's one particular instance where uh, Dante is actually asking a soul what is the very easiest way to get to the next tier right. because he he's not as he's not as ethereal as these souls. He can't just like float. <clears throat> up a little bit he has to he has to haul this meat bag around so he wants to find like <laughs> the easiest way up um but, but yeah uh, and that's and that's that's also reflected i'm sorry i don't mean to jump in oh, but no, that's please. also reflected yeah. in the 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 structure of the poem itself it can be mm-hmm. very difficult to to figure out when one tier has ended and another has begun because mm-hmm. a lot of them stretch between the cantos like a lot mm-hmm. of the times in inferno the 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 levels are discrete and the cantos themselves are discrete. There are a couple that bridge cantos and there's some bridging cantos that move from one to the other. Um, the one that comes to mind is uh, Thievery, which takes place over two cantos because I think that there's a lot that, that Dante wants to do there. But for the most yeah. part, the you can tell when one section of hell – begins and ends you can tell when uh one canto begins and ends the action doesn't tend to bleed but in in the purgatorio you can get lost moving because the 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 action is not as discreet we were Mm -hmm. we were talking before uh about how much more communal the Mm -hmm. the purgatorio is I'll, I'll lay out the rest of the structure, and then the, yeah, I, I wanted yeah, well, I wanted to talk a little bit about like sort of the 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 vibe, if, if I'm yeah. so yeah, yeah, so crude a term. I would say that the the structure of the cantos that as they bleed into each other, yeah, yeah, fits that vibe. But we'll yeah. come we'll come back to that. So please yeah. keep keep um, keep running. Out. Sure. So at the so at the very base of the mountain, we had we had our anti purgatory with all these uh, layabouts and stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's a gate into purgatory proper, which consists of lower purgatory, a middle purgatory, and then there's upper purgatory. Right. And these are arranged essentially uh, by Dante's psychological theory of where sin comes from. And that sin is always has its origin in love that is misapplied or misdirected. Uh, so right. for lo- lower purgatory, we have the proud and then they're followed by the envious. And then as we climb up the wrathful and this is love perverted. This is uh, mm-hmm. what, what it, this has become love of another's harm is, is yeah. what leads you into pride and envy and wrathfulness. And uh, climbing higher than that, we have the slothful, which get into the the middle purgatory, sort of beginning of upper purgatory. And this is the sort of these are the this is this is love that is is uh, busted and doesn't run right. You know, the slothful <laughs> are the ones who like the love is there, but you know the alternator's shot and it's up on blocks. You know they're slothful. <laughs> um, so above that, we have the climbing higher and higher, and 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 again, this is this is interesting. Is this is getting closer and closer to the earthly paradise, and then onto the heavenly paradise. So 
<laughs> what I think is interesting is here, as we get toward the pinnacle of Mount Purgatory, as we get closer to the goal, we have the covetous, and then the gluttonous, and then the closest to earthly paradise are the lustful. Yeah. Which is, of course, traditionally is sort of assumed to be the most base and, and <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, well, I, not assumed to be. It, it's treated as the most base kind of sin or the sins of, of lust. Yet here they are closest to the earthly paradise. Yeah. This is, these are the sins of, of love, as, uh, I believe, as, this, as this diagram I found uh, put it, excessive love of secondary good. That is, <laughs> you've... You found like your 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 love the thing that's in you that seeks out the good has found things that are an almost kind of platonic if we have a platonic conception of the good, these are the the sort of the dim shadows of the good, and the problem is you have devoted yourself to these dim shadows instead of the actual good you know, yeah that's, uh, that's there yeah um, that's so exactly that's, it yeah so uh, uh in all of these tiers we have uh we have souls much as as we had uh in hell but what i think is interesting is that many of these souls are engaged in cooperative struggle yeah they are not as in 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 the inferno in hell you would have souls that were suffering together but you never got much of a sense of any kind of solidarity right. they just all happened to be suffering the same punishments and you could go talk to this one or that one but they were they had a group identity only insofar as they were having the same abuses heaped on them. Um, well, I say abuses, uh, the same justice <laughs> heaped on them. <laughs> sure. Um, but uh, in, in in the Purgatorio, and right from the beginning, like, I mean, the uh, uh, Dante and, and Virgil are beset by these, what would have been recognizable to the audience as pilgrims. These are... Yeah. These are pilgrims who have joined together in pilgrim bands, not unlike the Canterbury Tales that we have uh, talked about on the show, of course. <laughs> and and they think of it as as a cooperative enterprise. They 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 group together. They are asking each other which way to go. They are sort of you know uh, uh, and and you see it again and again that you'll have you know, sort of groups of these souls that are you know undergoing purgation that are that are you know purging their 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 souls of these sins. But they're do they are doing it. They'll they'll help each other out. They'll point the, you know someone will point the way, or someone will like you know they'll flag you down and say, "Hey, how you doing? Wow, it's great to see you." You know, yeah. uh, And there seems to be much more of a sense of interaction and community. And we were talking a little bit before the show that that I think that there's a function of hope. Yeah, um, the fact that it's not just that there's there's a goal to be reached and there's a recognition of common effort. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that everyone can can help each other reach this common goal together, and it's going to take some doing. And yeah, we're going to suffer for a very long time because because spoiler alert: these people are still undergoing bizarre torments. Um, right? Yeah. You know, I mean that's that's still a lot of this stuff, but th their eye is cast upward. And I and I, I, you know, I, I think you hit on it exactly. Is the souls in hell are are isolated and alone? They not only hate themselves, but they hate each other. I mean, they that right, right. that no one wants to be associated with anyone else in hell. It's like the 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 worst office bureaucracy ever. You know, everyone's trying to backstab everyone else, and it's just a a, a total colossal mess. Um, you know, the 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 image in hell was the image of city of discs. 
you know, Dante and mm-hmm. Virgil descend to this city that, you know, is cast as a, a you know, it's got minarets and so on and so forth. And so there's that anxiety or, or outright hostility towards uh, Islam in the East. But it, it's it's a city that doesn't work. It's mm-hmm. a collection of people who all hate each other, who are grouped together, who are just looking to, you know, torment each other. Um, and, and by tormenting each other, torment themselves. But right. the, the, you know, one of the sources that I, you know, I finally broke down and I, I commenced an auto de fe on my own bookshelves. Uh, I got rid of some stuff to make way for some other stuff. And I broke down and bought the gigantic Durling Martinez um, translation of the Purgatorio and of the, the Paradiso, because I know I'm going to need heavy lifting for that. And yeah. <clears throat> the, the, the case that they make is to point back to Augustine and this idea of the city of God. That purgation is a part of what it takes to build the the communal city of the divine. Uh, this isn't an isolated endeavor. It involves everyone. We all have to work together and we all yeah. got to see each other through this. So, yeah. you know, we, when you were you're, um, you know, sending me messages about the communal uh, aspect of this, I was like, "Yes, yeah, that's it, that's it, you got it." I think you showed the, me the way. I think one of the here we are, we are pilgrims in purgation, Claude. Um, but I think one of the, uh, I think one of the most sort of poetic and what I thought sort of lovely images of this is that uh, there was a large, um, there's a large group of souls, you know, pilgrim souls, kind of just washed up on the shores of Mount Purgatory that uh, Dante and Virgil interact with toward the beginning in the in the early cantos. And they are consistently described in terms like flock, like a flock yeah. of birds. And they're described as having, you know, having moving this way or that with the, with the motion of a flock of, of a flock of birds. And I, and I was immediately thought of how the, of the, the longstanding uh, Catholic and, and broadly Christian uh, tradition of identifying the Holy Spirit aspect of the Trinity with the dove. Yeah, with this perching, <clears throat> flying bird, and I, and I thought that was just a beautiful sort of it, it. It captures the 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 hope, and of course, you know, the dove is of course a symbol of hope and peace as well. And so these souls are creatures of sociability, of of common cause. They flock together, and they are they they have they embody hope because they are here, and yeah. they're going to undergo some horrible things, but they know that it's for something, and that they're working toward something. <laughs> and I thought, and I have to believe that was very purposeful on the part of Dante. I mean, we can't, you know, we can't read his mind, but I mean, it's so it's so eloquent that, uh, hey, you know, that had to be something that he was thinking. Well, it, it is. It, it absolutely is. Um, the Dove, maybe, I, I'm not quite sure about that, but it is a callback to something specific in the Inferno. Um, okay. the, the souls in lust, in the lust canto, um, they are blown about in a, a, a sort of torrential hurricane like, uh, birds in the wind, but they are forever, um, circling and they can never rest in each other. And in the, the motion, they come close to each other, but can never, can, can never touch. Yeah. And, <clears throat> the the bird imagery we were talking about this the that the flocks keep coming back up in the purgatorio and and that's meant to remind us 
no, here's a flock moving together. Yeah. Here's, here's a flock that, 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 that works. You know, it's, it's that callback. Here's everyone in motion. And it's the same animating spirit of love that's pushing them through in, in Inferno. It, it was love the wrong way. And lust is the, the opening, um, sin, like the first sin that Dante mm-hmm. encounters. It's the one that hits him the most. It's the one that's closest to God because it's just a perversion. It's just going in the wrong way, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah, 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 yeah. So, all right, cool. Cool, cool, cool. So thank you for <laughs> summarizing Purgatory. Yeah. I guess. So that'll, that'll give kind of, so it, so that's the, the milieu that we're yeah. working in here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we wanted to, uh, I think you, you wanted to sort of enter into kind of the more detailed discussions with the, the cantos, kind of the, the middle cantos, mm-hmm. uh, at what's like 15, 16, 16, 18. Yeah. Well, the, there are a couple of things. Yeah. The, 16, 17, 18 are, I, I think, the um, the cantos that lay out. I mean, it, they're they're purposeful cantos because they're literally the middle of um, the Purgatorio, and they're also literally the middle of the whole Commedia, um, according to the, the the mathematical scheme that, that Dante lays out. Uh, his discussion of free will and love hits right in the middle. And so it's 16 to 18, um, starting in wrath where this, yeah. uh, narrator who we can't see through the smoke, um, begins to describe how love operates. Uh, it was a, a, a Lombard named Marco. Um, this guy was yeah. a historian, but, uh, uh, sort of, Maybe he was multiple people. Maybe he wasn't multiple people. All we know biographically is this name Marco uh, applied to a particular historical text. And he begins telling Dante, um, you who are living ascribe every cause only above to heaven as though the only mover of everything were necessity. If that were true, freedom of will would be destroyed in you and it would not be just to rejoice at goodness or grieve over evil. Okay, so that's the problem. If If – you know, if God is all powerful and all loving, then mm-hmm. why does anybody end up in hell? Um, we have to have free will, and and Milton is going to address this if slash when we ever get to Paradise Lost. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, he's going to address it very unsatisfactorily to my taste. But that that's the issue. If God is all loving and all powerful, then then why do people end up in hell? Why is there sin? And and Marco is telling us that that. Free will is there. The heavens set you going in your motions, not in all of them, I mean, but even if I did, you are given a light to know evil from good, and free will, which, if it can endure without weakening, the first bout with fixed heaven, if well nourished, conquers all it meets later. To a greater power and a better nature, you are subject in your freedom, which creates in you the mind, which is not in the heavens' care. So if the present world strays from its course, the cause is in you. Look for it in yourself, and I will be a true scout for you now in this. And then he gives this whole tale about um, you know, the problems of medieval Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, free will. We, if, we, if we screw up, we screw up because we did it. You know? Right, and it's, and it's an interesting conception of free will because it has a recognition of uh, I, I believe, like you know, at some point uh, he, he describes 
how uh yeah like you know the, the heavens set us in motion like there's the 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 core motivations are implanted in us and that's and that's just how it's going to be but what we have where the free will enters in is what we des- how we decide to act on yeah. those inner motives and i was immediately struck by there's um there's a lot to hate about arthur schopenhauer uh, the, <laughs> the, cr- yep. the cranky german philosopher but i always really 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 loved his kind of one liner line um uh a man can do as he wants but he cannot want as he wants and here we have dante i and i really very sincerely believe that dante was prefiguring that kind of he 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 had a glimpse of that insight that yeah you know you're, you're you i mean and you know and i think there's real wisdom in that like i i can't sit down and decide what it is i will, i want i you know my my desires and drives come from you know so of course you know uh, freud would delve deeply into that with his theory of you know id and ego and superego and all that but even you know not even getting that far like just in your daily life you you can you know you you can be seized with the you know uh like i really want a double cheeseburger from sonic you know like they they do it damn right but do i really want to eat a thousand calories in one sandwich no i don't i free will choose not to go get that but i can't free will choose to crave a goddamn double burger you know what i mean exactly and they're not sponsoring us and they're not not sponsoring us (laughs) no i i I think you, you you hit on it right you can have the craving but it's it's up to you to to modify or or guide that craving and he says it um he he calls it you know the soul is sort of like child within you it tastes the first flavor of some slight good and is deceived there and runs after it if its love is not curb if its love is not turned by curb or guide my son um he he knows exactly where the the every chord is in the house and he goes right (laughs) to it he just he just started crawling and he goes right to it and you know you have to sort of stop him and no no that doesn't go in our mouth because we have teeth now and um that could be bad uh he's got the desire he's got that drive but we must teach him not to do that that's how uh kato is describing sin that Mm -hmm. okay we we've got this innate drive within us the 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 body is not totally horrible and evil nature we have to trust nature um we just have to curb uh, everything that looks like a good because it may not be a good. Right. You have to recognize the error. Yeah. Re- the, recognize the possibility of error. Yeah. yeah. Um, and one more time, we're back to error. I think that's the, the animating feature of this, this canticle. But yeah, so in, in, in 16, um, in, in 15, 16 and 17, uh, the, I'm, I'm sorry, 16, 17 and 18, Dante really begins to explain what this is um he's asking virgil in 18 you know what how exactly does this operate and this is where virgil lays out um his plan he says the love of good which uh falls short of what it owes is restored just here here the sinfully lacks or is plied again but in order they're talking about um sloth but in order that you may understand it more clearly turn your mind to me so that you may gather some good fruit from our delay neither create creator nor creature ever he began was without love my son whether natural or of the mind and you know this the natural is always without error but the other can err by choosing the wrong object or having too much or too little vigor while it is turned toward the primal good, 
controlling the secondary as it should, it cannot be the cause of sinful pleasure. But when it twists towards evil or pursues the good with more or less zeal than it owes, what is made labors against its maker. And this is where, where I think Merwin is, is really, really powerful in his translation. It labors against its maker. Uh, you've got work mm-hmm. working against creation or, or making, right? Um, Anyway, thus you can understand that love must be the seed in you of every virtue and of every act that deserves punishment. Um, love is at the root of even the awful things that we do. Yeah. It, nothing is done not out of love. It, it's the root of, of sin, but it's also the root of salvation. Yeah. Um, like the, yeah. the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but so is the road to heaven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah. okay. We're, we're about to talk uh, about Balak one five seconds, and he's a character yeah. who's connected to uh, Beckett. But you know, Beckett. Uh, it, I've read the the three major biographies of Beckett, and they all recount this um, this anecdote. He said that his favorite line in all of Augustine was concerning the two thieves on the cross. Um, who were crucified at the same time as Christ, don't despair. One of the thieves was saved. Don't presume one of the thieves was damned. And that's sort of the tightrope that you have to walk uh, if you're a Christian. Yeah, the problem is no one can find it in Augustine. Uh, maybe Beckett made it up. Anyway, so <laughs> – but that's that's you're sort of right. Love can go either way, and depending on how you use it, or or how you control it, or don't control it, or or work with it, or work against it, it can lead you to some some of the most wonderful places, and it can lead you straight to hell. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah. So that's that's kind of the the animating spirit of of the whole of the comedia is this idea of of love of connection of bringing things together and this gets back this is why lust was the 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 highest of the sins in inferno Mm -hmm. but also the the highest the closest to the garden of earthly delights in in purgatorio Mm -hmm. it's just love taken the wrong way you know yeah yeah Okay, so I brought up Beckett, and I guess we have to get into Balakwa. You ready? <laughs> let's let's do it. Okay, um, Balakwa is this weird character who shows up in Canto Four. Um, he's one of the. He's not even lazy. He's one of the late repentants, and the the reason he's important is really because of Beckett. Um, if any of our our listeners are familiar at all. Uh, Samuel Beckett was an Irish player. No, um, Samuel Beckett in his early writings, he, he wrote this book called dream of fair to middling women. Uh, it didn't get published. And so he sort of broke it up. It was a novel and he, he broke it up into a series of short stories. And the, um, the main character is this Dubliner named Balakwa Schwa. Uh, and that's a ridiculous name, but you you have to wonder is that any more or less ridiculous than a Dubliner named Stephen Daedalus? Sure. But, any- <laughs> but anyway, um, he took Balakwa from Dante, and Schwa is the name of the the I guess the dictionary syllable that just means. Ugh. But um, anyway, so 
he he sort of elevated Balakwa to to this level of uh, ideal of laziness. Um, but Balakwa yeah. in in Dante is one of the late repentant who's who's sitting under a rock, and he interrupts the text in this weird way because he's ironic. Um, nothing else in in the Purgatorio is is really ironic in in. Yeah. Um. The Inferno, we have to read double-eyed. We have to be prepared for what the speaker is saying, but also the context in which the speaker is saying it to be suspicious of that. Uh, yeah. And Balakwa basically stops Dante, and they get into this kind of like joking back and forth about, well, what are you doing here? Yeah, well, what are you doing here? And, <laughs> um, and, and Balakwa is... is I don't know. I'll just I'll just read a, a, a section of it. Um, at that, he turned to us and looked us over. Uh, a bunch of um, late repentants are sitting under a rock because they're not sure which way to go, and mm. they don't really want to go anywhere. Um, at that, he turned to us and looked us over, moving his face up slightly on his leg, and said, "Well, go on up, you rugged pair." Then I knew who he was, and the exhaustion from which I still had not caught my breath did not detain me from going to him. And when I came to him, he raised his head scarcely at all, saying, Have you noticed how the sun is driving this, uh, his chariot past your left shoulder? The languor of his moving and his brief words brought a little smile to my lips, and I began, Balakwa, now I grieve for you no longer. But tell me, why are you sitting there? Are you waiting for an escort, or have you simply returned to what you're used to? Okay, so Balakwa, now I grieve for you no longer. Oh, great, I thought you were in hell, but all right, you're here. So what are you doing under that rock? <laughs> uh, it's it's an ironic repast to this guy. He's kind of jabbing him in a little bit. And he, oh, brother, what would be the point of my going up? For God's angel sits in the doorway and would not let me pass through to the torments. I will have to wait outside until while the heavens revolve around me for as long as I lived, since I put off the good size to the end, unless prayer rising from a heart that lives in grace comes to my help before then. What use are the others that are not heard in heaven? Uh, and already the poet had begun to climb ahead of me, and he said, Come now, see, the meridian is touched by the sun, and on the shore night has set foot on Morocco. Um, <laughs> is a, a, an interjection of irony. He, he's he's an ironic yeah. character. They have an ironic uh, repartee. And um, I'm not quite sure. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. For what he's doing here, except as a kind of weird human reminder 
Uh, Hollander has a note. His ironic and, and witty response to the conversation he has overheard immediately wins the reader's affection. Um, Menica calls attention to the great importance of Dante's Balacqua to Samuel Beckett's fiction. According to him, Balacqua becomes a contemporary myth of irony rather than a depiction of the loss of will. However, he may not sense how much of the Beckettian view of Balacqua is already present in Dante. Much of Beckett's work is a kind of rewriting of the Dantean universe from the point of view of Balacqua alone. A universe of waiting boredom, question, and frustration, as in the early short, short story Balacqua and the Lobster, and certainly including the rock-smuggled hobos of Waiting for Godot. For at least a moment in this extraordinary exchange, Dante's Balacqua seems to control the situation. Of course, he will have to be swept aside in the name of progress toward a Christian goal, but it is astounding and heartwarming to see how greatly Dante empathized with this character we like to imagine as being so antipathetic to him. Um, yeah, Balacqua doesn't just seem lazy. He also seems kind of confused. Yeah. Uh, he's not sure he can go up. He's not sure what would be the point if he did go up. He's just kind of like, I think the best thing to do is sit under the rock. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I, he's an intrusion from another world in some ways. Right. You know? Uh, I, I don't know what to do with him. <laughs> to be honest, I, I, I mean, really, I don't know. I, I get the kind of feeling like he's almost there as a kind of uh, like counterpoint to, to Dante himself, almost. Yeah, like you know, because it kind of mentions like what you know, talking about like, oh, are you sitting around waiting for a guide as well? And you know, Dante's been here, like, oh, I've been you know journeying through this uh, these fantastical realms with a guide, uh, you know, Virgil and whatnot. Like, it's almost like. To, to use a tired phrase there, but for the grace of God, go I. Almost, yeah. You know? Yeah. Like just, you know, just content to like sit back and crack wise and be miserable. <laughs> yeah. But hey, eventually he'll be saved. And that's right. Um, that's right. But I, I, yeah, there's, there's just something about that, that it's, it's disruptive. It's, it's an interesting disruptive moment in the text. I don't know what it means. I don't know why it's so disruptive, but I think Hollander is right in his reading that it it humanizes this weird ironic viewpoint that otherwise i don't know what would you do with it yeah all right so anyway uh moving on <laughs> no segue we're just going to bleed into things um the there are a couple of things uh i i guess we should probably start you know focusing on the the end game here um one of the things that we've been talking about or and and one of the things that i really really noticed this time around was how interconnected um, the pride and lust cantos are, or the pride and lust sections are, the the, the tears. Uh, mm-hmm. Both of them have to do with art. Um, both of them in some way, shape, or form have to do with craftsmanship, and they both feature um, artists who point to other artists and say, I thought I was a big shot. You think I'm a big shot, but Hey, check out this other guy. He's way better than I am. Um, pride, lust, and aesthetics seem to be intertwined. Um, the, you know, we had talked about Dante in the Inferno. Bloom reads, uh, Dante coming too close to Ulysses. Uh, Ulysses is a, a, a false counselor, 
And there's something in Dante that sort of fears the false counsel. And, and I think innately or, or by suggestion, the false counsel is his artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, will, will my artwork lead people to hell? There seemed to be an intimation of that in the lust canto. He'd written love poems. Oh my God, what have I done? Um, but in, in the Purgatorio, he does connect, uh, lust, pride, and art together as this kind of misdirected creation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I want to talk about that, but before we get to that, I want to focus on the second dream. Um, he has three dreams on Mount Purgatory. Uh, the first in which he sort of casts himself as Ganymede, um, taken up by the eagle. Ganymede was the androgynous cupbearer of Zeus, who was – Zeus came down to Earth as an eagle, picked him up, flew him up to Mount Olympus and turned him into his cupbearer because he was such a hot guy. Yeah, it's kind of the the mythological pederasty relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a kind of – in casting himself in that light, there's this kind of sexual angst that's going on. The, the criticism recognizes that. Uh, the third dream is after it's up at the top before the, the garden of earthly delights where he has an image of Leah and Rachel. Uh, one is the life of, uh, quiet contemplation. The other is the, the life of active production. And then, um, in between he has this really bizarre dream of a hideous woman who is transformed by Dante's inner love into a beautiful woman who then um, Beatrice comes, sees what's going on, calls Virgil. Virgil rips her away, um, rips her open and shows the stench coming out of her belly as uh, Merwin, I suppose, euphemizes. Um mm-hmm. It, it's a, a strange moment because – all right, the reason I wanted to bring it up is because it, it, it connects Dante back to Ulysses. Um, let me find the canto. I'm sorry. I've got my – I've got three different versions of notes. <laughs> I, I kind of went nuts with this. Let, let no one ever say we are not sort of prepared here at the Cannonball. <laughs> I think that's it. I think that's it. Um, no, the second dream is in Canto. Sorry, it's in Canto nineteen. Uh, I, I already have to turn a page. Um, if I can read Roman numerals. Okay, there we go. Um, it, it's at the beginning. I looked at her, and as the sun revives life in the cold limbs, the night has deadened. This is Dante um, thinking about his dream. Uh, and, and as the sun revives, life in the cold limbs that night has deadened. So that look of mine upon her loosened her tongue, and then in a short time straightened all that was twisted in her and gave her color to make her look as love would want to see her. He sees this woman in his dream who's ugly and hideous, and then through his gaze transforms her into something that is beautiful, Right. Uh, after speech thus had been set free in her, she began to sing so that it would have been hard for me 
to have turned my mind from her. I am, she sang, I am the sweet siren who lures sailors astray out on the sea so full of pleasure they are when they hear me. I turned Ulysses from his wandering course with my singing, and he leaves me seldom who is at home with me, so wholly I satisfy him. Uh, okay, so we were talking about it last time, and I looked it back up just to make sure, and it was true. Uh, Dante did not have Homer in the original. In fact, he did not have yeah. the complete Homer. Uh, he had just bits and pieces. He kind of sort of knew the story of, of Ulysses, of Odysseus, but he didn't know the whole thing. Um, he's imagining that Ulysses heard the siren, and that's not what happened. Well, it's right, kind of right. what happened, but not exactly. Um, yeah. He he imagines that Ulysses had a, a sort of side adventure, or seems to imagine that Ulysses had a kind of side adventure with the siren, and stayed with the siren, and and Ulysses did not. Um, it's connecting Dante to Ulysses again, and it's connecting him through um, the sexual lore. Mm-hmm. And the transformation of that which is not beautiful into that which is beautiful is aligning Dante with the false counselors, and it seems to jab at his his own past aesthetic creations. Um, yeah, I I think what what Dante's anxiety throughout the whole commedia is. Am I telling the truth? Yeah, it, right. Or, or am I? Am I? You know, I, 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 you know, he's 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 happened upon this this psychologized conception of what sin is, and that it is always misapplied love and and misdirected. Like you're right. Like he's he's questioning. Like, am I? Is is or or whatever? You know, if I'm particularly pleased with a with a you know beautiful poem I've written, am I just? hiding the corruption of a of a horrible thought in this beautiful language or is the beauty itself you know it, yeah it's again i i'm sorry my my mind's going in a couple of different directions at once but that kind of yeah that kind of uh uh the allegory of the you know the beautiful thing which on the inside is corrupt and putrid um i i, I think that yeah dante is concerned for his own soul and his and their own sake why am i even doing this yeah, you know, what was what is it that I'm accomplishing? Yeah. yeah, and the other thing that struck me, and there's an unarticulated idea. I do not know how to articulate it right now uh, about truth and and art, both in Dante and in Chaucer. Um, one of the things that you know, I think we touched on, but moved on quickly because I, I'm not a Chaucerian. I can't pretend to be. Uh, is mm-hmm. is this idea of medieval? Co- conception of truth and art um is chaucer telling the truth is he dramatizing actual people or is he making this all up how can you get away with making it all up yeah one of the things that dante prizes in the purgatorio each tier of of mount purgatorio has a frieze that depicts you know people who did not do that sin uh, people who were victorious, uh, and it's it's almost photorealistic. I mean, what he prizes is the reality of the craftsmanship. 
how did medieval art think about reality and how did it think about the artwork? What was the purpose of the artwork? Um, To go off into a tangent a little bit, you know, the, (laughs) the, the, the idea of non-realistic art is, uh, I I think Walter Benjamin for this is the, um, the idea of non-realistic art is a reaction to the camera. If, if Mm -hmm. we can, if we can, actually do a, a, a literal recreation or if technique, if, if aesthetic technique has gotten to the point that it can do a recreation, you know, so facilely, um, then what is the point of the artwork? At that point, the artwork must draw attention to itself as an artwork. And so that's how you get, you know, something like abstract expressionism. Um in in Dante's world, the the emphasis seems to be on accurate representation. But if that's the case, is he going to say, "Well, I went to hell, I went to purgatory, I went to heaven"? Where do you draw the line between aesthetic vision and vision? Vision. Yeah, you know. Um, is he being literal? Is he not? How would he have thought of these things? I think that anxiety is right there in in his too close identification with Ulysses. Yeah, and 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 I think that brings up uh, it, this this sort of it 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 fired off this this connection really quick that the we were t- we were talking earlier again before we started recording about how. Um, the, the medieval church has a reputation and based in reality of being, uh, ultimately a, uh, an, an extremely oppressive dogmatic institution that exerted this iron grip over the intellectual world of the middle ages. Um, but I think that sort of points to a disservice. And cause the thing is like Dante is through and through an Orthodox Catholic. He is 100%. I mean, his, his, his vision of the, the world to come uh basically became the de facto catholic vision you know like what we know of as heaven and hell comes from this poem uh you know in in the catholic tradition especially but here he is even like there's there's this and but we we expect like the church and orthodoxy to be all about um all about here are the established answers and if you do not toe this line we will kill you and burn you at the stake there was some of that sure <laughs> But, but I think also, and especially in this kind of examination of his own motives, you know, I, I think Dante is representative of the fact that there was a much richer and more subtle intellectual tradition at work in the Catholic Church and in theology and in these things, because um, there's a lot of sort of there, there's 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 a lot of challenging of of a lot of what we would think would be subtle dogma kind of stuff that's going on in this poem. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I guess just as an example to sort of show like the, the multifaceted aspects of all this, um, I, in doing a little research just today, kind of brushing up, I was, I was sort of reviewing, uh, bring some synopses to refresh my memory. Cause it's actually been, a, it's been a while since I first read through the text, uh, but I had to, had to do a bunch of life stuff. Um, but I learned that, uh, Dante was affiliated with the Guelph political faction. Yeah. In, in the, uh, sort of high and late middle ages in Italy. And to, to, I don't know if we've talked about Guelphs and Ghibellines yet on the show, but no. basically this, this, it's, it's so, God, it's so stupid. 
Um, but, but basically it was, it was a kind of, there was these two sort of factions that would be represented all across the region of Italy. You would have like, you know, Guelph factions in, in Mantua and Ghibelline factions in Mantua and so on and so forth in all of the cities and regions. Broadly, the Guelphs supported a more, uh, sort of secular authority oriented, uh, uh, sort of vision of governance, uh, based in, it was based in a struggle between the Holy Roman Emperor and the papacy over who got to appoint bishops. That's what set all this off. But it became sort of a, 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 a way for a lot of views to sort of, uh, accrete around, uh, these two positions. And the Ghibellines supported the authority of the papacy and the supremacy of the papacy over the empire. So, um, uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, the, the Guelphs were the, the papist party. The Ghibellines were the imperial party. Dante himself was a Guelph, but in this poem, I forget in which canto, but in this poem, he has a long, basically a long diatribe that's basically in his own voice talking about how if only the damn church and state would get out of each other's businesses, there would finally be peace in Italy and we can work things out. <laughs> yeah. So that even though he's an Orthodox, devoted Orthodox Christian working in this Christian tradition belongs to a political faction that ostensibly is about the supremacy of the supremacy of the papacy over the empire. He still is out there arguing for, look guys, separation of church and state is the only way we could get anything done, which yeah. you would think like go, runs counter to our conception of what the medieval church was supposed to be. And I think that's very indicative of, of this kind of, it's, it's, it was, it was a much more, um, a much more, uh, contended intellectual space than we sometimes think. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing I always say, or the thing that I always think is you can have the dogma, you can have the broad social structures, you can have that, but then you've got the people who actually lived it. Mm -hmm. And, and can you imagine when I'm teaching, and I'm teaching a, a, a historical period different from our own. Um, can you imagine living under this situation? Well, yes and no. Okay, why yes? Well, because social structures are always there. Why no? Well, because look at this shit. And, um, <laughs> right, like, this is bizarre. I would so, yeah. never put up with this. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, to say that there's uniform um, – to say that there's uniformity of behavior in any particular moment or mode uh, is to belie the complexities of human behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, and it, yeah, it's 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 a it's a it inflicts a kind of poverty of spirit and poverty of mind on people who were every bit as clever as you or me, exactly, and, and were every bit as interested in the world around them as you or me. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that was right. well, that's, that's rather right. quite quite an aside. Um, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, but that's, no, yeah, that's what, what, what we have these discussions for. Yeah, um, exactly. All right. Yeah, so I think we're getting we're, we're actually getting close to the Garden of Earthly Delights, aren't we? Yeah, and you know we we have to go through lust first, and that was right. kind of the the surprising, or or that I think can be the surprising canto for a lot of people who are reading this. Um, yeah. The lust canto mostly focuses on homosexual poets. Yeah. Uh, now, homosexuality was punished in Inferno through Brunetto Latini. Um, and, and that was one of those shocking moments where someone very, very close to Dante is put into hell. Now, the, the note that Frachero has in the Pinsky translation of, of Inferno, 
uh, points to this idea that it's not actually homosexuality that's punished, it's pederasty. Um, if you look at the people who are in the sodomite section of hell, it's teachers and priests, um, <laughs> academics and, and churchmen. Uh, and there's a, a long, long, long tradition of, you know, uh, priests and uh, teachers abusing their position. Mm -hmm. uh, to to euphemize that away. Uh, now, the way that Frichero reads this is that um, it's it's a group lost in time because they see themselves as perpetually young, i.e., appropriate sexual partners for children. Mm -hmm. um, and this would connect with Latini's idea that he'll have fame for all time due to his writing. I'm not entirely convinced by Frichero's reasoning. Um, I can't quite articulate why, but it, it doesn't quite seem to me that it's – that connection isn't quite there yet that it's pederasty that's, that's being punished in hell. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to let pederasty off the hook and I'm not trying to condemn homosexuality. I think it's, it's yeah. something complicated is, is going on there. But what might be surprising to a modern reader who has uh, 20th slash 21st century notions of the church and sexuality is that Dante places homosexual, homosexuality in the, the lust purgatory cantos as misapplied love. Mm -hmm. And he's yeah. kind of sort of okay with it. Right. It's, it's that it's the same kind of, Right, that it's that it's merely misapplied, and you know, and yeah, in our day and age, like I, I will probably stand up and say, like, absolutely, that's not misapplied. I mean, right. love, love is love, and human beings will love each other however they want to. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think that's it's it's a it's, and again, it, it kind of you know uh, puts to the lie this notion of the church as this inherently, and and the Middle Ages themselves as this inherently barbarously reactionary mode of 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 living in society where there is much more there's much more under consideration and and yeah and yeah it's but but again it's it's very difficult for us to even get our mitts on properly and i don't know if we'll ever really be able to properly parse it i, I leave that to the dantean scholars out there but <laughs> well one yeah. of the th one of the things that was was interesting to me is that you know we we, we were talking about it before uh, we already sort of addressed it that in pride and in lust uh, craftsmen point to other craftsmen as the better craftsmen and say, it's mm -hmm. not going to last. Don't worry about it. Um, Latini's, Brunetta Latini's, you know, last words, remember my treasure, remember the artwork that I made. He's banking on his salvation through, uh, the thing that he crafted and all of the artists in purgatory say, eh, forget that, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> it, for them, it's not misapplied love. There's something about, um, the sort of, I think what, okay. I'm not saying this. Dante is saying this. I want to make this absolutely clear. Um, yeah. but he seems to see homosexuality as a kind of short circuit. Um, it's a sin against nature, i.e. non-procreation. 
Um, one more time, that's not me saying this. It's Dante right. saying this. I, I just yeah. want to make sure that my my <laughs> feelings about homosexuality are clear. Uh, whatever, I'm cool. Anyway, um, the the short circuit seems to be that you're putting your emphasis on it, it's misapplied love. It's it's putting your faith in something that is doomed to 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 decay. Um, it, yeah. It's uh, I'm going to produce an object that ultimately is sterile because yeah. what is the point of this? It's not the object that I produced that is going to lead to my salvation or going to lead to um, others coming towards salvation. It's it's the activity, you know. It's right. the love. It's the care. It's the the, the flourishing of that. And it, in a weird way, um, Dante connects actual homosexual love with a psychological care. I think mm-hmm. it, instead of a care for the the object that I produce. What seems to, you know, we were talking about this before. What is it that puts a soul in purgatory and doesn't put it in hell? Is it the arbitrary psychology? Kind of sort of seems to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That, that seems to be the, the salvational part of, of lust for Dante is that it's not about what is produced. It's about how you feel, how you care for another. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe I'm reading into it. I don't know. I don't know. I think that's, <laughs> again, this is, uh, we, 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 it's something I've discovered time and time again on this project is that, uh, we, I think we've done our jobs well when we raise a question that we cannot answer and that is just there in the text and, <laughs> and y'all listeners get to enjoy so wrestling I, with I'm, it too. <laughs> yeah. So we're, uh, we're, uh, our failures are our successes. I love how you did that. <laughs> Exactly. Look, I've read a lot of business self-help books and you can't <laughs> succeed until you fail again and again. So this is the road to success, buddy. Oh, Lord. My whole life is a success and I had no idea. <laughs> yep. All right. So anyway, uh, we move out of lust and and it's it's lust where, where Dante seems to be the closest. Uh, he, he fears being burned by the fires. Um, within this time uh, – Another Roman poet has actually been freed from purgation. Statius comes along with us. Yeah, Statius, which uh, yeah. which has I thought this was this was neat touch. The entire mountain will tremble. Yeah, the entire mountain basically a, a tremor, an earthquake occurs every time a soul earns has has worked through its entire purgation and has earned paradise. Uh, the the mountain will shake. So again, that offers hope to everyone who happens to be on the mountain. They can they feel it. They yeah. literally feel it when someone has achieved it. And that's that you know, that's uh, a marvelous way of communicating that, hey, keep on keep on trucking, guys. Exactly. You, know, you can do it. Exactly. And and everybody rejoices when that occurs. It's mm-hmm. not the isolated hellish ah, screw him, he got ahead of me. It's right. um you know, everybody in it together. So state I mean, Statius is one more example though of Virgil not making it. You know? Uh, yeah. and it's it's a disturbing example. He was a minor poet. He, according to Dante, he was led to Christianity by reading Virgil. There's a poem of Virgil's uh, which early Christians took to be a sort of harbinger of the nativity. Uh, it wasn't, but they took it to be that. And yeah. um, 
the the question always remains: Why is is Stasius saved? Why is Cato saved? Why are these other characters saved? And Virgil is not. Um, it, it's it's strange. It, it, it's very very strange. And I, you know, this is one that I have to leave up to the Dante scholars. I I don't know what to say about it because his loss is is felt. Um, we move out yeah. of lust into the earthly paradise where Dante sees this woman, Matilda, who isn't named for a canto or two. And he's still in, you know, his Adamic state, uh, i.e. bodily. He sees her and gets, um, aroused. He mistakes divine love for earthly lust. Um, it's at that point that Beatrice finally appears and in the encounter in Beatrice, Dante loses Virgil. In yeah. Canto 29, um, at line 55, Dante says, full of wonder, I turned around toward the good Virgil and he answered with a look as, uh, as amazed as my own. When, when Beatrice descends, uh, Virgil is just as amazed as Dante. And um, in Canto 30, uh, at line 34, he says, And in my spirit, which for so long by then had not been left helplessly undone with awe and trembling in her presence, without more knowledge from the eyes, but by an unseen force that was coming from her, I felt the old love in its great power. And as soon as the high force beat upon my sight as it had pierced me before I had yet emerged out of my childhood, I turned to the left with the confidence that a little child shows running to its mother when something has frightened it or troubled it. To say to Virgil, not even one drop of blood is left in me that is not trembling. I recognize the signs of the old burning. But Virgil had left us. He was no longer there among us. Virgil, most tender father, Virgil to whom I gave myself to save me, nor did all that our ancient parent had lost have any power to prevent my dew-washed cheeks from running dark with tears. Um, it, it, it's a compelling image for, for a couple of reasons. One, it, it's such a palpable thing. A, a poor child scared or frightened or confused running for his mother, right? Um, that's how he feels about Virgil. Yeah. But the, the other thing is, um, at certain moments in the whole commedia, uh, Dante will be reduced to being a child. And in the very last, in, in the very last canto of the whole poem, when he comes face to face with God, he describes himself as an infant. Uh, in the Italian, it's a, a, an infant, which literally means one without language. Mm -hmm. Um, he keeps getting reduced to a state of being unable to speak. Yeah. Um, and, and the, the presence of the divine is so overpowering that here's this guy who's spoken for, you know, God knows how many lines I could count them. I'm not gonna, um, <laughs> or I could Wikipedia them. I'm not gonna, but he, he's spoken for so long, so long, so long. And, and finally has nothing to say. There's nothing that we have that can express the divine. Um, in a similar childlike state, he goes looking for Virgil and Virgil is gone and the, I, it's, it's equivocal what happens to Virgil. I, I read three different translations, you know, trying, trying to sort this out, but they're all equivocal. But mm -hmm. Virgil had left us. He was no longer there among us. 
Um, does that mean Virgil voluntarily went away? And um, well, I, I mean, I don't see, I, so I, I'm, I'm working on a thing. I'm, I'm, my gears are turning. So this is at the point in the poem where he's, he's in the garden of earthly delights, the, the garden of Eden. Um, and it's a, it's, I think it's a marvelously described set piece almost where he's describing how like there are, um, oh, and it also, uh, explains how plants can grow where there were no plants there before to send seeds because wind will come up and blow seeds from these original plants that got, were created by God's own hand. And then they are scattered by the winds to land among the craggy places that have no plants yet. Um, but, uh, including some that are some plants never seen on earth. They're just yeah. marvelous plants in this, this deep dense forest. But this is where he, he finally meets, uh, Beatrice. And and Beatrice sort of descends with her handmaidens and this, you know, it's almost like a vision of the Virgin. I mean, really, it's, yeah. it's so much pomp and circumstance there is with it. Um, and I, you know, I, I almost feel like, uh, like Dante has, by this point has almost not exactly forgotten about Beatrice, but her appearance sort of, it gives a shot in the arm to his whole, like, why he's here in the first place kind of uh kind of thing um and I, I'm, I'm trying to piece together how, how i'm thinking about this i feel that virgil going away has more to do with my work here is done or there's another little boy who needs me even more than you do dante <laughs> <laughs> you know kind of like you know here we are your your real raison d'etre for going through this journey is this woman and you're grappling with your your guilt about how you moved on from her after she died and that's what happened. Like this is this is Dante's purgation. Is Beatrice like talking about like I thought that I was the perfect, beautiful, divine, the vision of divinity that would inspire your poetry forever, and yet you went running around with strumpets after I died. You 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 got you know <laughs> the, uh, other girls around town caught your eye, and of course you know Dante here in the Garden of Eden being directly addressed as you Dante by Beatrice in this poem well, uh, is of course so utterly crushed with shame. <laughs> It's well. It's but it's he's amazing again. Rendered speechless, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing because um, we do not get a lot of time to focus on Virgil having gone. We get him gone for five seconds, and then Dante, because Virgil leaves you. Do not weep yet. Do not weep even yet, for you still have another sword that you must weep for. Um, when when Beatrice shows up, there's all the pop and circumstance, but she's not there to make him feel good. Right. Um, part of part of his confession, uh, part of the scolding confession and the baptism, is you gotta own up. You betrayed me. You went after other images of me, i.e., lust. You lusted after other women. You composed poems after them. You devoted your life to things other than what you should have. You screwed up, and it's this. You know, we were talking about it beforehand. It's the only time Dante is mentioned by name in the poem, and it's it's a powerful moment, and it turns us directly away from Virgil. Dante within the poem does not get a chance really to mourn Virgil or or to think about that. We don't get a chance because all of a sudden we're in the middle of look, you bastard, you fucked up. <laughs> it's she she really lays it on him she puts the sword in and then twists it and twists it and twists it until dante is is broken down and has to confess yes i did these 
Um, and once he's broken to that point, she she pulls him across this river. There's a river separating him from Matilda. She pulls him into the river. Um, he forgets that he ever was sinful, and he emerges anew. Um, there's a long allegory about the church in pain and the the distinction between you know, the, the Imperial Rome and the church and so on and so forth, which we don't have time and I don't have the patience or energy to get into. <laughs> right. But eventually he he makes it through and he's he's been purified. And like with the Inferno, we end with a view of the stars. Uh, from yeah. the most sacred waters are returned, remade in the way that new that trees are new, made new again when their leaves are new, pure and ready to ascend to the stars. Uh, Stella, we we keep ending with the stars looking upward and upward and upward and upward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the next the next one is going to take him even even further up. This has been a a, a hard journey, but there's the vouchsafed vision towards the end. Yeah. Um yeah. yeah. What did you think reading this? Uh well it, it was it was quite different from what I expected. I, I almost had a kind of I had a, an assumption that it would be for lack of a better term, boring. <laughs> simply because it's the one that doesn't get a lot of press, you know, you don't get a lot of translations of it. But in the end, I think I honestly found myself stopping and, and thinking through things a lot more. And the experience of reading this one than I did with the Inferno, which I think the Inferno is, I mean, there's a reason why it's, it's so much more well-known. It certainly has a much stronger uh, imagery. It has yeah. a much stronger, um, much more intense series of very vivid images that sort of lodge in the mind. And it's a little, there's, there's a lot less of that in, in, in Purgatorio, but I think, the Purgatorio ends up being so much more concerned with the uh, the ambiguities at work mm-hmm. in in Dante's own time, in his own life, in his own church, that it ends up being, I think, better grist for conversational mill uh, almost. Like there, there's there's you know there you know I think well I think one of my uh, one of my favorite parts was a kind of. Um, uh, when when they at the in the early cantos when they meet a fellow who's also from Mantua and uh, and him and Virgil have an embrace and then uh, the poem goes off on a tirade about how awful politics in Italy are you know, for <laughs> for a good half canto um, and 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 that I think was is very interesting because I think the Purgatorio for for all of the contemporary figures that the Inferno addresses for all of the kind of you know it's it's a very biographized and very personal sort of vision also mm. i think i think the purgatorio is so much more about dante himself and his time yeah that it feels a little more immediate uh, it feels a little more and and i think you know that, that i guess that ties into what it to what purgatory as a concept is i mean purgatory as a concept is the 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 yearning the hope of a better of a better existence yeah combined with the faith that that better existence is possible and what is, I mean, what is politics with a capital P? What is more politics than that? Right. You know, the notion that things needn't be the way they are. We are not trapped 
in our we are not trapped in our hell right we there's suffering to go right. through but it is to an end and i think that that broad concept i think lends itself to a, a poem that uh has a, a, a lot more subtlety and a lot more punch to it than the inferno does I, and i re i really do mean punch like i think there were like moments like especially with you know I mean, God, Beatrice just like landed a gut punch on uh, Dante there, disappearing in glory and telling him you fucked up. <laughs> you know, like yeah, like that's that's a very like I can you know that kind of I've had moments of like self self examination where where I would have to endure something like that, and I think to myself, God, Dante, you're really giving it to yourself here. This is yeah. interesting. This is this is immediate. This is personal. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and I think you know altogether, like I'm, you know, I'm an optimistic guy uh, altogether. So I think I just had a better time with the fact that they're, you know, they're almost comic figures, like Belacroix, like a lot of the kind of dithering souls further down the mountain who are just like, yeah, I want to go, but I'm scared, and I don't know, I'm going to huddle together with these other souls in a flock. <laughs> it was it was much more humane. It, it, was, it yeah. was it's a humane work that is a bit less. It's not quite as punishing uh to 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 read as as the inferno um yeah yeah i that that was sort of my experience too um it it's been a while since i i did the purgatorio and and i dove back into it you know notes and all translations at all and that that was kind of the 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 same thing i had too that it's a lot more hopeful it's it's not the ironic dark grim mess that the inferno was it takes a little bit of of you know recalibrating to okay so not everybody here is trying to get out of everything um i can read this and be sincere about it and and there's something he's trying to get across it does seem more subtle i think that's a good way to read it that um with reading without irony is is a different way of approaching it and you have to read more closely and think more closely about it. Um, you know, the the Purgatorio has the reputation for being the the connoisseur's Dante. Um, yeah, Inferno is the everyman's Dante. Uh, Purgatorio is the connoisseur's Dante, and the Paradiso is the one that nobody likes. Um, the Paradiso is. You know, it has a reputation of being somewhere between a didactic poem and pure music. And there's, um, yeah, there's not supposed to be a good translation of it at all. But I guess we're going to try it next time. Um, but yeah, I I had a very similar experience with the Purgatorio. Uh, I I really got into it this time around uh, more so than I thought, and more so than the Inferno. Um, it's not about vengeance. Uh, you know, I think uh, we were talking about this last time. Inferno has this reputation of being, you know, I think you called it the Edge Lord's Dante, but um, <laughs> right. But but you know, I just found it sad. This one isn't sad. It's there's work to do, but but we can get there. We can do it. It's very helpful. I think you're right. Yeah. So all right, I guess that that brings it to a close. Um, next time around, we'll be doing the Paradiso. Uh, yeah. fingers crossed this might be a gigantic mess <laughs> um, you know we're we're up on I guess SoundCloud iTunes and uh, Google Play uh, mm -hmm. P 
people are actually listening. I was very surprised at that. But if, if yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, people, you know, people are hungry for uh, podcast content that isn't about uh, you know movies. So, <laughs> so <laughs> not to not to denigrate any any of the many fine podcasts out there about <laughs> movies, and there are uh, quite a lot of them. Yeah. But, uh, you know, hey, you know, we got uh, we got an audience out there, man. Yeah. Well, you know, rate and review or do whatever. And, you know, yeah. And uh, we're we're working on getting the or the the blog up and running. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I'm slowly but surely getting that going. So, you know, someday soon. Uh, maybe yeah, hope, we'll talk hopefully about we'll that. yeah we'll have that going so that we can sort of do uh diary entries as we wrestle with the great works <laughs> trying to come up with things to say about them when we record <laughs> oh lord yeah but um but anyway yeah so you know th- thank you for listening and uh do what to do and uh I'll, I'll talk to you later uh daniel about yeah. paradise yeah the, the paradiso we'll knock it out man the whole divine comedy this is exciting All right. Thanks, man. Talk to you later. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.